0: Good morning. Merry Christmas. Hey, uh, my name is Tim, and I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic. And uh, if you're in the room, welcome. It's so good to be here with you. If you're watching online, uh, good morning. Glad that you're here, joining in with us. And if you're listening or watching at another time, Merry Christmas to you as well. Um, we're gonna we're gonna continue on. I can't. I, it's weird to say this is the third Sunday of Advent. Um, I can't believe that we're here already. Um, it feels weird that Christmas is about two weeks away. Um, it's happening really fast. Um, and uh, before we get into that verse that, that Amy and Beatrice just read, I want to I take just a couple minutes with us and, uh, and just talk about something that's coming up of, of where God's leading us as a church. Um, we spent September and October in a series that we called Garden Houses and families, and it was centered around three questions. Um, What sustains our life? Um, Hopefully you've considered that before. You're answering that in some way. We're all answering that in some way. What sustains our life? What is it that drives us? What's at the center of of where we're going? What directs us? And for us, we want to be a a people and a community that answer that with with Jesus. Um, Jesus is the one that sustains our life. The second question was, uh, where has God placed you? Who's God placed you near? Where, where are you? Where is your house, so to speak? Where is a key amount of time in your week, in your day, in your year? Where, where are you and who are you around? And the third question was, who are you with? Um, those three questions help direct us to where God is, is leading us as a church, the vision that he has given us in this next season of who he's calling us to be. One way that is really helpful to think about that is that we're in a city and a region that desperately needs Jesus, um, and Jesus has invited us to, to follow him into this time and place, uh, and to be his light in this place that is often so dark. We want to be a light for the good news of Jesus, for the person of Jesus, uh, and we want to be a church that is consistently calling ourselves to that and then sending us out to wherever God has placed us in, in and around our city, to be a church that is consistently and regularly celebrating the sending out of his people, his missionaries, to to this place, to our city. Uh, and as we look out ahead, there's a number of things that, that we need to do that will help us get there. Um, this is not scientific. I've been, I've been testing this out in our forums, um, but I wanna share a piece of information with you that is not, uh, it's not scientific. Um, to be perfectly honest, it's, it's based on a little bit of data, but not a whole lot. Um, but my kind of best guess as a pastor right now uh, is that our church is, uh, if you were to say on a, on a Sunday, Uh, Where is Mosaic? Um, I think, and again, not scientific, so don't totally hold me to this. I'd be curious if you've got another uh, reference point or or perspective on this. But on a Sunday, where is Mosaic? I think there's about a third of our church family uh, is here in this room at this address. Uh, I think about a third of our church family uh, is in their own home watching uh, online, either from their couch, their kitchen, or their bed. Um, I don't have any data on that, nor do I want it, Um, but I think about a third of our church family is at home, and then I think another third of our church family is uh, either uh, still asleep, uh, is on vacation, um, or is just deciding where they want to be and and who they are right now, kind of an undecided kind of place in their life. So I I don't know that that's totally accurate, but that's my best guess to date. What that means is that we are in a new reality of where we're in multiple places at the same time. We're not just in this building on Sunday, we're at home or we're watching or checking in at another time. And that's weird and different and completely foreign uh, to who we have always been as a church, to who many churches have always been. And at the same time, I think that's a tremendous opportunity. And so as we look out at where God's calling us to in the future of who he's calling us to be, one of the things that we wanna do is to, to grow into this new reality of where we are on a Sunday. And one of the things that that means is better utilizing this space and this building, uh, particularly for Sundays. The other thing that's happening and that we're celebrating is the way that God has given us favor with kids and students. High school students, the way that we're in relationship with more students at Grant High School than we ever have been before. If you don't know this, we open our doors uh, every Monday for, I don't know what it is, but it's the the lunch period. It's like 32 and a half minutes or something really kind of odd time. Um, but we've had uh, 20 or more students walking into here, and we had a first couple weeks ago we had the first student walk into our building who didn't know um, anybody personally at Mosaic. That somebody, a student at Mosaic, had invited a friend, and then that friend, who's got no connection to Mosaic other than that friend, invited somebody else who doesn't know Mosaic at all. And so they don't know, yet know the name of Jesus, they're not following Jesus yet, but they've been in our space here, and I'm like, this is cool. I get pizza for a buck, and it's fun. Um, we've got a new middle school director just for the last couple months, Emily, um, our middle school... Oh, and people like her. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Um, she's great. But we have, we have favor with middle school students. We have favor, and we have for our whole history as a church with, with the youngest among us, our, our, our kids, and we want to continue to do that. And so... Um, Starting in January, what we're doing is this fundraising effort. You heard Connor mention it. We've been talking about it for a number of weeks, but it's called Now and Next. And it's, it's gonna go for two years and we're gonna raise $2.5 million and that includes two years of our annual budget plus an additional $300,000 in order to better utilize this space, put some security around the building so that we can be good neighbors, uh, renovate our space for our students and our kids in our lower level, uh, renovate a kitchen that is uh, going on about 80 years old or something ridiculous and it really needs it, uh, and then a, a tech upgrade in here so that we can better be both here and at home on Sunday mornings. Um, so there's a whole lot more that goes into that. But here's what, what we're asking all of us to do, is, is to do three things between now and the end of January. Uh, and here, just real, real easy handles, hopefully, for you, is to assess, pray, and commit. And here's, here's what I mean by that. When I say assess, is when we look at our finances, that you would, that you would assess what, what money looks like for you in, in your life um and, and there's two questions that go along with this as you think about assessing and, and that's what you give and why you give and those two questions are vitally important we're going to be talking about this in the next week a month or so the next number of weeks and through the end of january what are you giving and so some, maybe some of you know exactly what you're giving maybe some of you don't maybe some of you do not give at all and just a hand what budgeting and money looks like, and we wanna be able to help walk through that. But not only what you're giving, but, but why you give. And, and please, if you have not answered that question of why you give, you need to revisit the what you're giving if you're giving. Those both need to be answered. Why would we give to our church community? And so we wanna answer those in the next number of weeks. But I want, we wanna all ask and answer those two questions, assess what money looks like as we hold it before God right now. And the second thing is this, that, we would, that you would pray, Uh, that you would spend some time between now and the end of January praying about what is God calling you to. Maybe it's to start giving. Uh, Maybe it's to um, reevaluate what giving looks like for you. Uh, Maybe that's a a deep practice and it's a regular part of your life and God's asking you to give above and beyond, that you you would pray about that and consider that. And then the third is to make a commitment, and we're gonna do that in, over the middle three weeks of January, the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd, and then we're gonna celebrate um, at the end of January. And what that's going to look like is, we're all gonna commit. We need some things to help get us in, in place for this next season, but more than that, we collectively as a church wanna grow in our, how we're stewarding the resources that God has given us. That's a discipleship issue of how we hold that before God. Uh, And we're called to hold everything in our lives before God, not just our money, but the way that we speak to one another, the way that we manage our time, the way that we think about and live in terms of our sexuality. All of it belongs to God, and we want to hold it open. And this is one part that we want to revisit over the next couple months as we move forward. So assess. Pray and commit. I've shared this often before. I think it's been a little while, but just so you know what that looks like for Abby and I in our home. uh, We, when we got married, and this was really easy, we had no money, so to give 10% didn't feel like this big thing, because there wasn't that much anyways, but we started when we got married nearly 25 years ago, uh, and have done that consistently. A number of years ago here at Mosaic, we realized that that had become just rote, that it was just kind of automatic. We didn't feel it at all, And God led us to do this move from 10% to 11%, which which doesn't sound like a massive thing, but what it did is it made us reevaluate and feel it again so that it was an active part of our life. And so we've been at 11% for a number of years. When Abby started working as a nurse six years ago, that looked entirely different because our income went up, and so our giving went up but we've been at 11% for a number of years now, and we're gonna spend the next few weeks praying about what that looks like as we head into our now and next commitment in January. So a number of you have reached out and, and asked questions and talked, a number of you have already made commitments, and I, again, we celebrate that and just wanna say thank you. If you have any questions, a forum is a good place. Um, if you wanna email me or Adam or Kim, that would be another place to start. Um, other note on this is as we make our commitments in January, um, I've I've said consistently that I don't I know what very very few people give and um, in, and in, and that's two people Abby and I um, and so when we make commitments it's going to be going to our staff and our volunteer uh, who count our money and who have done our bookkeeping for um, for years and so those are the only people that will know actual numbers and those kind of things and they'll tell us a total if that's something that crossed your mind I think that might be important so um, thank you for for leaning in on this and being a part of this. And again, if you have any questions, please please holler and, and, and let's talk. I'm excited about how God is already moving. We've never done something like this um, at, at our church before, and so this is a significant step for us, and uh, it's both uh, scary and it's already been amazing to see how God's shown up just in the last couple of weeks. So, um, thanks for that. I think I had something else, and I'm forgetting now. So, yep okay i'm gonna pray and one of the things that i do want to pray for is is connor was mentioning comfort and joy earlier and i um, one of the headlines that probably many of us if not most of us has seen is uh, the devastation in kentucky and so i just i just want us to pray uh, for the state of kentucky and for the people who have have lost loved ones um, the devastation just the loss of property homes um, that is very, very far from comfort and joy. And so would we pray a miraculous presence of God's comfort and joy to people who have lost so much uh, right now. God, as we as we are present with you in this time right now, um, we acknowledge you as a God who is all powerful, a God who desires and gives peace to your people and to your planet. And right now we're very well aware that there are people who uh, are experiencing loss, loss of life, loss of property, loss of security, loss of, in some ways, a future. Um, I can't relate to that, my home's never been taken, I've not lost a family member to a natural disaster like that, and and that's horrible at any time, at any moment, but particularly at this time as we are counting down the days to Christmas, and so God, in the, in the moment and in the space of an unfathomable loss, would you show up in a miraculous way? Would you bring healing and hope even in the midst of what seems incomprehensible? God, there's, there's not a way to, to quickly understand or wrap our minds around uh, what's happened. Uh, and so would you, uh, in your power, bring, bring healing and bring peace and bring hope? And Holy Spirit, we ask that in, in this moment for us, right here where, where we are, as we, as we look to your word, would you guide us and, and help us to process and, and surrender in ways that we need to surrender to, to find conviction where we need conviction? Would you, would you form us in new ways even as we, as we read your word together, as we sing to you? And Jesus, this, this time of year, like as we count down these days to celebrate your birth, um, would you guide us and teach us, would you remind us powerfully again that you're our King, our Savior, and the one that is worthy to have our hope fully laid in you and you alone. And so it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray, amen. So uh, again, we're in those verses that you heard read, but. uh, Luke chapter 1 verse verse 57 is where we're going to pick up. We're in this series on Luke and Acts and we've just kind of started into the book of Luke and we don't know exactly how long it'll go. It's going to go for a while and then we'll get into his second work, uh, the book of Acts. And uh, the, the book of Luke, it starts with a very, very, very long first chapter, so we are still in the first chapter, and we've, we've lined this up so that we're reading the birth story of Jesus on Christmas Eve, and so uh, we've got two sections before that today and, and next Sunday, and then we'll read together um, some of those well-known verses in Luke chapter 2 uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, I want to go back and I want to read a few verses of uh, the very beginning verses, because Luke is writing to a friend and he calls Most Excellent Theophilus, and he's writing to him for a very specific reason. And he says this, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Luke writes, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." Theophilus had been taught about Jesus, he decided to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, and then what he saw was a bunch of people who were following Jesus, specifically Jews, be persecuted and marginalized because they had followed Jesus, and Theophilus was beginning to question, is this for real, do I wanna be a part of this? It doesn't seem to be going really well, it's very hard, and. Should I really be a follower of Jesus? Do I really believe this? And his, his friend Luke is writing to him and says, look, I've gone back and I've talked to people who saw what happened, who were there, who hung out with Jesus, who saw him be executed on the cross and was really truly dead and then buried. And then they saw him afterwards and hung out with him and had meals with him. They saw miracles. I talked to people who were healed by him. I talked to people who were sitting in the crowd when Jesus was dead. Te- I've investigated with eyewitnesses and I just want you to know I'm gonna write it all down. And he says, I'm gonna give an orderly account so that you, Theophilus, can read through it and be reassured that yes, Jesus was God in the flesh, that he lived, died, conquered death, rose again, ascended into heaven, and his work continues on in us on earth, that's what Luke is is saying to him. But he makes a point to say an orderly account. My guess is that many of us have shared something with another person, and because we didn't do it in the right order, it didn't have the intended impact that we intended. Um, I, uh, this might surprise you, but I, um, I enjoy uh, comedic timing. And um, sometimes I do well at that, and sometimes I don't do well at that. But it's been fun to watch uh, my three sons as they've grown up learn that and um, we've been gracious to each other, whoever is kind of trying that out at the dinner table, and uh, you know, now the, the youngest of my sons is Owen, and as, as he's learned, and he's, he's, he's kind of probably got it earlier than, than some of the rest of us at an earlier age, but it's, it's, um, it doesn't work when, when, a, when a story that's meant to be funny doesn't line up correctly, and you tell the punchline earlier, you leave out a key detail, and it doesn't really work, and then you're like, I, I don't get it. And you're like, why? It's hilarious. And then you realize, oh, I told it out of order. And if I would have told it in order, it would have been really funny. And the, the same is true with a, a non-funny story. If you want to tell a story for impact, you've got to get the order right, or it misses out. And Luke is, knows that. He's writing with that effect. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to put it in this order, and as it unveils itself over time, the impact of it is going to be even more dramatic because of the order that I tell it in. And so we're now tail end of the first chapter of Luke. And all that we've heard so far is these first intro, this is why I'm writing, and then he goes, I'm going to foretell the birth of John, I'm going to foretell the birth of Jesus, and then Mary and and Elizabeth are going to have a little visit, and then Mary's going to sing a song. That's that's what's happened so far. But because he's done those things first and put those in order, when there's actually a birth, it makes a huge difference because the birth was foretold. We We don't have a feel for that. We we don't I mean we know when somebody tests pregnant, okay, now I can foretell because there's a baby growing inside of me that in roughly nine months or whatever the calculation is, it's gonna be born. But this this is God showing up and calling his shot early before it actually happens, and people planned their lives around it before they were even pregnant. We would started with this story of, of Zachariah, and he says, he meets this angel, and then he says, Okay, we're we're past childbearing age, we're elderly. And God, you're saying through your angel that we're going to have a a child. Okay, if this actually happens, this makes a huge difference. And so we've read through these few sections, and now we're at this place where John's to be born. And what happens is, is God has made promises. God has given his word, and then he begins to fulfill it. And when God says earlier, I'm going to do this, and then it actually happens, something happens in us in that we read the story as we experience God's faithfulness of him saying something and then following through and doing it, particularly in a world where people following through on their word somehow has risen to almost miraculous levels. Do you realize that most of us that vote in elections, our confidence that what a a politician promises to follow through on will actually happen is tremendously low low to the point that when a politician actually follows through, an elected leader follows through on what they said they would do, they're like amazing, they're unique. We live in a culture where somebody saying they're gonna do something and then following through and actually doing it is more and more rare on a public level, on a social level, and unfortunately even on a personal level. And Luke is writing and one of the things he's doing is he's piecing together this orderly account of the events is saying, God is faithful, he fulfills his promises over and over and over again. Verse 57 says this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Zechariah came home and said, hey, an angel showed up. Well, actually he didn't say this because he couldn't talk. So he he had written down to to Elizabeth, "Uh, we're gonna get pregnant. And, um, and then it's gonna be a boy, and we're gonna name, name the name the boy John. And then the story goes on, and that actually happens. She gets pregnant, she gives birth to a son. She gives birth to a son. And the, the neighbors actually see it, and what, what the verse says in, in, in verse uh, 58 says, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Elizabeth's story, if you were here a few weeks ago, was that a woman who was married and never had children, there was this cultural shame that happened to them. There must be something wrong with you. You must have done something wrong. God isn't blessing you. God isn't giving you children because you have done something that has offended God. That was just the understanding, the social, not true, not accurate, but that's what people, that's what she felt. That's what Elizabeth's experienced. And all of a sudden, her husband comes home and says, we're best childbearing years, we're elderly, and yet we're going to have a son. She's like, uh, okay. Then she gets pregnant. Then she gives birth to a son. It actually happens. And her neighbors and relatives realize that God has shown her mercy. Mercy, um, there's a couple different meanings to mercy. Um, in, a, in, like a, in a judicial sense, in a court setting, mercy is... Um, when mercy is shown, it's that something was deserved but wasn't given. So a penalty that was earned was withheld. Um, that's one kind of mercy. Another aspect of mercy, and the mercy that is referenced here, is a kind of mercy that is, represents kindness and goodness expressed to someone who is afflicted. And so what's happening here is it, neighbors and relatives who know Elizabeth and have watched her and her experience realize that she's just given birth to a son. And what they realize, what they see in that, is that God has expressed mercy to her. And they share in her joy. And some of them would have shared in her sorrow over the years, and now they get this experience of sharing in her joy. When God fulfills his promises, like the promise of Elizabeth, you'll give birth to a son, when God fulfills his promises, his character is seen in action. His character is experienced in real-time, tangible reality. That neighbors and relatives looked at Elizabeth and went, you're experiencing God's mercy. You're experiencing something good. You're experiencing. God's character is on display. Now, think about this in, in our own lives. Think of the ways that God's fulfilled his promises to me and to you throughout the course of our life, and maybe if you've been walking with Jesus just for a short time, those are real condensed and they're really intense and you can point to those. If it's spread out over a lifetime, you've got long stories where God has proven faithful over time, or maybe you've prayed for something for a long, long time and it finally comes to you and you can say, yes, I can remember all of this calling out and pleading with God and then, and then he fulfilled his promises. Fulfill promises that he's, he's going to uh, provide for us that he's gonna provide for us. And we have stories of of saying, I was in need, I was in want, and God provided in this this way that surprised me and shocked me that somebody gave me a gift that I didn't expect, or somebody, anonymous person dropped off something for me that I needed at a time, and I didn't think I was gonna be making these bills, I didn't think I was gonna be able to stay in my house, I didn't think we were able to pay for these medical bills, and God provided in some way. And the numbers were getting really close, and we weren't sure if we were gonna make it, and then God provides in some way. And I know that God is good and generous because of that one of God's promises to us is that he won't give us anything that, that is too, too much for us to handle when it comes to temptation, that he's not gonna tempt us beyond what we can handle. And most of it, well maybe I'll say this, there have been times where I've said, ah, I don't know that I'm experiencing that exactly how that sounds, because I think this is more than I can handle. I don't know that God is fulfilling that promise that he won't tempt me beyond what I can handle. And just because we've given in to temptation and just because we failed in that doesn't mean that he's, he hasn't fulfilled his promise. That's actually more reflective of us. But we can tell stories when we've invited a few other people into our life and says, hey, I'm struggling with this one particular thing, with how I, how I speak to other people and I lose my temper and I say these things, or, or how I spend money compulsively, or how I haven't been able to to resist the temptation of pornography on my screen or my computer or my phone or whatever it might be. And I've invited people into my life and realized I can, I can walk through this. I, I don't make the right decision all the time. Sometimes I give in, but I have other people that are speaking into my life and helping me, supporting me, holding me accountable, representing God's forgiveness to me when I share where I've failed. And I know the truth that God's not tempting me beyond what I can handle. It's that I'm not trusting him in those moments. And when God does provide a way out, when God does provide a word of encouragement or a phone call right when I need it, and the help along the way, I realize that his character is trustworthy and good and walks with me through that. When God fulfills his promises, it reveals his good character in real time, in action around us. And that's what Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives experienced. Verse 59 says this. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, "Uh, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. They're helping her out there. They're just letting her know. That's, that's That's not a name that goes with your family. Then they made signs to his father this is to Zachariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and a great debate went on between whether it should be Mac or Android. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. I think it's hilarious that they handed him a tablet. Like, I actually had to look that up because I was like what, what, what is, like, what does that mean? Like, chalk? Like, he read right on chalk? Was it like a an early version of Etch-a-Sketch. Like, what kind of tablet was it? Uh, And maybe you don't care about this, but I found this fascinating. It's like a thin piece of wood, and they would melt wax on it, and they would get one shot to write, like, one word or one sentence in the wax, and then they could read it. Zechariah couldn't speak. He couldn't speak because when he was in the presence of an angel and absolutely freaked out, and the angel said to him, you're gonna give birth to a son, he was like, hey, angel friend, can I... Can I have a sign so that I know this is going to happen? Depending on your personality, you can relate to that or you can't relate to that. Some of us have a personality when somebody gives us good news, we're in. That's going to happen. That is good news and it's going to happen and we don't, we don't need to question it. It's just going to happen. We believe. We have easy faith. We have hope. We have, and then there's other of us that when we get good news, we're like, yeah, I'm not buying that. You got to convince me. You got to convince, so Zechariah in the presence of an angel says, yeah, I'm not going to buy that. You got to, you got to give me a sign. And the angel complies. He's like, okay, great. You want a sign here? You can't speak for nine months. How's that? That's a good sign. So anytime that you're wondering, is this really happening? You can try to talk and then you'll be reminded. There's your sign. I'm doing something here. God is at work here. So you just know there's a sign built in for nine months plus whatever time it takes you to get pregnant, and then those nine months, so there you go, you can't speak. So they have to say like, hey Zachariah, you can't talk, and your wife is trying to name this child John, which obviously is not his name, because your name is Zachariah, so that's the first name it's gonna choose, and if they don't want to go with Zachariah, because you don't want a junior, then you're gonna pick somebody else in your family line. But John's not in the family line, so that's off the table. And your wife here, because you can't speak, she's speaking up, but again, you can imagine culturally that wasn't like a thing, like dad's got to name sons. Um, and so they turn to Zechariah and they get this tablet thing and he writes John is his name. It's not I'm going to call him John, his name is to be John. It's like no guys his name is already John. Like that's done. That's already somebody's already decided that his name is John. Luke is writing an orderly account earlier in chapter 1 verse 13. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son." and you were to call him John. That already happened, and now it's, it's being fulfilled. It's taking place. And verse 20, and now you will be silent. Here's the sign that the angel gave to Zechariah, and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And then what happens? That, that actually happened. So nine months earlier this happened, and the angel says you'll be able to speak when you follow through and do this. When you follow through and name him John, because God is going to fulfill his promise to deliver a son, and you are called to name him John. That's your role, that's your task. And Zechariah was obedient. When God fulfills his promises, it often happens when we're courageously obedient to what he's called us to. When we're courageously obedient, and follow through on what God has called and invited us to do, it often goes along. Now, God fulfilling his promises are not dependent on my obedience or your obedience. It's not dependent on us being courageous in a moment where we're, we're tempted to go the other way. But it often does happen that God waits for our courageous obedience to demonstrate his faithfulness and to fulfill a promise. If you can put yourself in that that, well, it's not the delivery room, and it's not even like a medical space. It's, a, it's in the temple that this eight-year-old baby is getting circumcised. It's a weird scene that probably none of us can relate to. And then if you can, if you can feel in that moment the pressure to name that child Zechariah or to name him another family name, but to step outside of the family name, the, the family expectation and the family pressure to go a certain way or just from friends and neighbors. This is what is to be. You're to name him John, and yet Zachariah and Elizabeth together say say no, and they reject it. And they said the pressure around us isn't in line with what God is calling us to be. There is a courageous obedience to go against what everything else around us is expecting and telling us to do and let's be really careful and listen really clearly and process really well when we say that. It's not to be different just to be different. It's not to be different to find our own identity and to construct that and create that for whatever it may be. It's to say no to the pressures around us to go the very way that God is calling us to go, to be the very kind of person that God's calling us to be. When we talk about who God is calling us to as a church of who he's calling us to be, one of the ways that we talk about that is to say, in a city known for self-reliance, loneliness, and cynicism, we are compelled by the love of Jesus to live distinctly different lives. Elizabeth and Zechariah, in that moment were living very distinct lives. They were going against what everything else around them was telling them to do. And it sounds so simple, it's just the name of a child, and yet they had a clear directive, a clear command from God through the angel, do this, and they follow through and did it. We have that same kind of thing. We've been called to be a certain kind of people. We've been called to stand out as distinct and to not go with the culture and to not go with the crowd, and at times not to go with our own families. That doesn't contradict the call in scripture to honor a father and mother. We can do that and at the same time not always agree. And again, let's be really clear, this is not to go our own path. This is to go a path that God is calling us to. And at times that path will be contradictory and counter to everything else around us. It's the reason that in September and October, as we were working through gardens and families and houses, and when it came to gardens, we asked this question is, what is it that sustains our life? We are all answering that by, whether intentionally or not, by the way that we live and our actions. Of how we live in this world answers the question of what sustains our life. And for many of us, we're toggling across this line constantly of of the God of the universe is the one that sustains my life, and he holds all things in his hand. And he's called me to be this kind of person, and at other times, The pressure to be and live in a certain kind of way because of my coworkers and my friends and even my family members, is contrary to who God's calling me to be, and so I toggle back and forth at times. And I don't want to be distinct from everything around me because that's hard and it's costly, and yet God is calling me to be this kind of of person and to make these kinds of decisions and to speak and to live in this way. And one of his promises is that he will be faithful and that he will protect us, protect us, and he will hold us, and he will sustain us. And that doesn't mean it will be easy, and that doesn't mean it will be comfortable, but he has called us to be a light in a dark place, and that means looking very unlike the darkness that is so often around us. Some of us have stories where that is not an issue with our family. Some of us have stories where we have friends around us that don't put that pressure on us, but many of us, and I would say most of us, know very much what that tension is like, to say, am I gonna go with Jesus on this one, or am I gonna go with everything that's around me that's telling me to go another way? God fulfills his promises to us when we are courageously obedient. It's not dependent on that, but it often shows up at the same time. Total side note on these verses. Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. They're older, they're past child-rearing years. They looked odd when they would walk through the market on the weekends and she had a huge baby bump. They stood out, they were different. Zachariah couldn't speak for the entire pregnancy. Couldn't speak until eight days after the delivery when they named the child John and he was obedient in naming the child John. What I love about this is that you've got an example in scripture of an older man who was a priest, had priestly duties, and yet they are still growing in what it means to follow God. Isn't it great that we've got an example of an older person still growing and following God? If, if you're on the older half and I'm gonna let you self-identify, what freedom that gives you to say you're still growing. I, I wanna tell you this in case you, you don't know it. One of the great blessings that God has given us as a church, that God has given this great gift to Mosaic, and it's been true for some time, and it continues to be true now, maybe more than ever, is that some that are in the older half or older third or oldest among us in the oldest quarter are modeling to us as a church what it looks like to continue to seek Jesus and to grow and to change and to be malleable and to be changing in real time. That not standing and saying we have got everything figured out and I make all the right decisions and this is what it looks like to be in a person in a later stage of life and just to be this gleaming example of not making any mistakes and having it all figured out and faith is certain and never, never confusing and I don't doubt or anything. Don't say that. That we've got so many among us that say, yeah, I've been following Jesus for 30, 40 years and here's, here's what he just taught me. Here's how I just failed and how I experienced his forgiveness. Here's the lessons I learned in my marriage over the course of time that maybe nobody else is talking to you about. Man, what a great gift it is. Because if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're still figuring that stuff out, to have somebody that's way down the road from you that you can go to and watch and go, I, need, I have these questions, I'm having these struggles, I've got these failures, what do I do with it? One of the great experiences through COVID was our house gatherings. And in our particular house gathering was uh, uh, gosh, six or eight uh, families with young kids. And then there's a couple empty nesters. And as I would watch on screen week after week, one in particular, one couple, empty nester couple, when they would speak up and start sharing what they were learning and how they were interacting with scripture and what God was teaching them, I watched the faces of the young men and the young dads on our screen and, and they just locked in and their eyes widened and they were focused and listened and they would ask questions. And I had this thought of, but I'm the pastor and they're not looking like that when I'm talking. (laughs) And it was beautiful to watch and here's a man who's walked with Jesus for 35, 45 years, sharing his pain and his struggles and experience. And here's young dads and young husbands listening to every word that he has to say. What a gift, what a gift we have. And so thank you to those of you that are in your second half of life or your last third or quarter, whatever you want to self-identify as that you're holding your life open and saying, this is what God is teaching me. This is how I'm growing. You think I'm perfect? Let me share all this with you. That is so helpful. And if you're in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, I'll include that because that's where I'm at. We need that. We need to hear from that. Last few verses say this. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. God fulfills his promises, and people respond, and the world responds with awe and wonder. That doesn't mean they have faith, but there's an awe and wonder when God's character, God's power, God's faithfulness, bursts into our world and we experience in real time right here that the world can't help but respond with awe and wonder. They might just ask questions of what is going on there, what's happening there. I have a friend who I've been mentoring for a couple of years who's in a play, um, Pasadena, uh, Portland, sorry, Pasadena, whoa, there's a Pasadena Playhouse as well. Um, Portland Playhouse here, uh, just not too far away. Uh, Abby and I got to go to a show uh, a couple nights ago and it's uh, Christmas Carol. If you, you know Christmas Carol, and it's, you probably watch it or see it or hear songs from it or something every year. But watching a Christmas Carol uh, fall through and, and the redemption in that story. And he was talking about what it's like to be a, a follower of Jesus in, a, uh, in the Portland Playhouse in, among actors among those that are committed to the theater and spend their life acting, and he says there's there's only one other follower of Jesus in our crew that's, that's that's doing this play. But the story of A Christmas Carol, because it has redemption in it, and they know I'm a follower of Jesus, they're asking these questions of things like, can people really change? And when God fulfills his promises like changing us and showing up to change a life and somebody who used to behave in one way all of a sudden starts behaving in a different way or when a relationship was thought to be irredeemably broken all of a sudden gets healed and people are talking again once together, it answers the question, can people really change? And we have a story that explains how people really change. That the God of the universe, through his person and work of Jesus, through the good news of Jesus, comes into our world and radically changes it. And they're asking, my friend, how does that happen? And he has a chance to share the good news. And maybe they don't believe, and maybe they continue to ask questions. But when God fulfills his promises, the world responds in awe and wonder. I'd like to invite you to do this. We're gonna take communion. And it's this practice of where we come back time and time again to be reminded of God fulfilling his promise through Jesus that Jesus Christ showed up, was born, was named Jesus, lived, died, was buried, conquered death and rose again. And so if you've got one of these cups here in the room, you peel back the top layer and there's a wafer, you push down the next layer and tip it back and there's the juice. I'll pray and then we can take it together. Jesus, we declare that you not only are fully God and fully human, but you and your story fulfillment of God's promise to all of humanity and to all of creation. And so we we worship you, we honor you, and we say that we need you. Would you bring more of your grace and more of your mercy and more of your forgiveness, more of your strength and power into our lives?